and welcome to another edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brown Sword podcast, where we try to make sense of the financial world for savers and investors. I'm Andrew Harrison, and as ever, I've got Andy Mayer with me. Hello, Andy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing down in London? Oh, you know, not bad. It's uh, we're, we're all still here. So today, we're going to be talking about tax planning. We're going to be talking about some of the reasons that people like me sometimes don't take the very good financial advice of people like yourself, Andy. But first, the world is dealing with the enormous shock of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And on top of the horrific scenes from Kiev and Kharkiv comes the shock to the economy. Oil and gas prices are surging. Western nations are clamping down on Russian supplies. Western companies from BP to Boeing to Apple are divesting from Russia, or they're blocking Russia from their services. Ordinary Russians themselves are feeling the effect. I mean, Andy, obviously, the horrific suffering of ordinary Ukrainians is the main issue. But it also feels like one of these once in a decade financial shocks like Black Wednesday or the 2008 financial crisis. Is it? Is it it on that same kind of scale? No, I don't think it is. Well, if we're still at war in 12, 18 months, I think it's a different take. It's not the 2008 crisis. The markets have obviously dropped, but they dropped in before the, the war had actually started because they priced in what was going to happen. But it is pretty horrific. So I can talk about financials, but you're looking at ordinary human beings being killed. It's bloody terrible. Yeah, I mean, the, the financial stuff seems to be, it, it does pale besides what we're seeing on the television every night. And yeah, we have been seeing kind of rather callous stories, like how will nuclear war affect house prices in New Zealand? This <laughs> one so It's like, you know, get your priorities right. Is it going to affect the economies and the financial situations in the West? I mean, I've read, you know, obviously more expensive food, more expensive energy, likely to increase inflation, even supplies for metal for computer chips. Is it likely to affect us, do you think? I think there'll be a definite short-term knock-on, definitely with energy prices. And like you've said, some of the supply chain from Russia. I suspect somewhere down the road, Putin and Russia can't afford a long war because I think it will cause them more devastation then it's actually going to cause the rest of us. But yeah. that's my opinion. And when, But with somebody like Putin who can judge what he's going to do. Are you kind of adjusting your advice and the way you, you know, think about people's portfolios? Is it likely that a kind of an investor in Britain is going to be exposed to what's happening in the Russian economy? I think we're quite lucky in terms of how this will impact our clients because Russia only accounts for just under about 3% of the emerging markets that they're so it's not going to be a great deal. And also, we have got virtually nil exposure to Russian banks. Three or four years ago, there was a couple of Russian banks did very well, but we're no longer involved in them. So I think at the moment, our exposure from a financial point of view is very small. The other way of looking at it is that there will be some opportunities. I think at the start of this year, we've always said when you had Dan Campon and Mike Coop, this was going to be a very difficult year anyway with inflation and supply chain issues. Mm. Bizarrely and horrifically, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia will mean that some areas become better value and there will be opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I've read that, you know, cutting off Russian gas supplies as a matter of national security is you know likely to push us more into faster decarbonisation, greater investments in renewable energy, because it gives countries energy independence as well as helping on on the climate change front. Could you know could this crisis kind of you know n- not that any of us wanted it, and then the main focus has got to be the suffering of the Ukrainian people. But could it be one of these things where you know the byproduct, the side effect, is actually to sort of push the economy faster in a direction that it needed to go in? I think this is a government issue that you need to be looking at where we get our own energy supplies sorted. And I think most countries are looking at that. I think when you've got Russia controlling so much of the energy world that you do leave yourself very vulnerable. And we've all found that now. And I think there's a lot of people listening to this 
having horrific shocks when they're seeing what their energy prices are going up by. Mm. So hopefully, if there's anything good can come out of this, then that would be one of the benefits. But I think Mm. the catastrophic nature of the amount of people dying is just horrific. Yeah, that's the main issue, isn't it? Well, let's turn to the main topics of the podcast. What should we be doing at the end of the tax year, which is looming? (laughs) Panic is looming for everybody. And also, related to that... Why don't people take the good advice, Andy, of people like you? This is what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> Let's start with that issue of the, you know, the end of the tax year. It's 5th of April. What are the top things that people ought to be doing? I think, really, if you've not used your stocks and shares ISAs, where you get £20,000 per person, that should be being absolutely utilised if you can. Because once you've, the tax year is gone, if you've not utilised your pension allowance, which is up to 100% of your earnings or 40000 Once those allowances have gone, you can't catch them back up. And again, sounds awful, but part of the advantage of investing at the moment is that the markets are down anywhere from 2 to 5%. So you're actually buying in cheap units. So if you're able to top up your ISA, a lump sum makes more sense than increasing your monthly payments at the moment. Well, I would get a lump sum in as long as you can do it for the long term. If you're thinking I might need this money back in two years, no, you don't, because it is highly volatile at the moment. But if you can get the money in and take a five to 10 year view, we always say it's about timing the market. But at the moment, the timing is the market is down from where it was two months ago. So you're buying at a discount. What are those allowances then that will be, I think the phrase you once used was lost and gone forever? Yeah, use it or lose it. Basically, you get £20,000 each Mm. for individual savings accounts. You've got up to 100% of your earnings, up to a maximum of £40,000 for pensions. You've got venture capital trusts, which if you invest, but these are really, really high risk, give you a 30% relief. So, and then you've got some other inheritance tax issues, but they stay around. But again, if if you leave inheritance tax planning too late, it can actually mean that you don't get what you need. We'll talk about each of those individual things a bit in a minute, but I mean, I want to know, we're going into new tax year. How are taxes changing in the next financial year? We've had a lot of kite flying about Sunak needing to pay the bills, as it were. Will next year's tax environment be noticeably different from this year's? Well, we've talked about how national insurance is going up by 10%. You are not going to see tax dropping. However, we described this, that there will be tax, like inheritance taxes, frozen. So that's a tax increase because everyone's house has gone up. So when we look at this, whatever tax breaks are there, please use what you can because there will be a tightening of tax for probably the next 10, 20 years till this massive debt is paid for. Or until a government comes in that doesn't believe in paying the debt as if it were a household <laughs> bill and in fact thinks that there is a different way of approaching it under modern monetary theory, which I keep getting told about. Yeah, there are numerous ways of doing it, but currently our approach is that we're going to pay the debt back So until someone comes up with a change of philosophy, then the debt's going to have to be paid back or successive governments tell us debts have to be paid back. Hmm. That's what we want to chew on in future, but let's let's get back to the immediate. <laughs> yeah, there are numerous theories, and some yes. of them are a lot more interesting than the rest of us paying ta- high level of taxes for the yeah, rest they, of our life. They're quite fascinating, aren't they? I want to ask you, though, you mentioned ISAs. The ISA limit is staying the same next year, isn't it? Yep. So in a way, with inflation being where it is and forecasts of it being up to 10% by Aviva in late summer, early October – you start going, if you use, don't use these allowances, you're losing real money in real terms again. And is the pension allowance staying the same as well? You mentioned yep. what was it, up to 100% up to £40,000 in yeah. it. But you have got something there, Andrew, that you can go back. If you've got a pension, even if you're paying £2 a month into it, £2 a year, 
you can use unused relief. It's called carry forward, carry back. Now, you talked about venture capital trusts, 30% tax relief on them. Tell us a little bit more about that and why people should get into them now. Who's it good for? It's all. It's really good for high-rate taxpayers who are earning over £150,000 or who have utilised the maximum of their pension allowances. It allows you to put £10,000 in, for example, and get a £3,000 tax rebate. And they're in good companies. They're in things like Grays that people know, Zoopla. These sort of companies, Gymbox, Loaf, they've all been venture capital companies that have done well. There's also ones that go bust. Mm. But you get a 30% relief. And if you hold it for five years, you normally get your money back plus the 30%. But again, they're not guaranteed and they are high risk. Why? Because they're, they're set up companies. Mm. The clues in the word venture. Is this why the government is giving such significant tax relief on them then to just ideally to encourage investment? It is. It's to get people in to start up companies. And they generally, if you use the right companies, they do really well. But there's a risk. They're not straightforward. They're not. They're like a roller coaster. They go up and down depending on the sort of the markets, but they are very good. And for people who've utilised their ISA allowance, people who've utilised their pension allowance, they're excellent. People who've paid an awful lot of tax go, it's a way if you put, again, if you've earned a lot of money and you've put, you've got £50,000 sitting in cash doing nothing, you put this in, 50000 you get a £15,000 tax break. That's a lot of tax back. It is. What about AIM ISAs then? Tell us about these. They are really high risk. What they're for, they're really good for inheritance tax planning. So if you're hitting an age where you think, I want to leave this money, I don't need it, you put it into an alternative investment market ISA. You can transfer a stocks and shares ISA into it. And it's like a smaller companies. Again, it's small companies. It bounces around. It's highly turbulent. It's a lot more volatile. But after two years, no inheritance tax. So what kind of companies are on AIM then? Startups, very similar to venture capital trust. We, in a way, venture capital trust and AIM ISAs could be called UK smaller companies or right. setups. If you think about it like that, it's companies going to the market, raising money. You're not going to get British telecoms in it. You're not getting BP. It's not what it's about. The government give you these tax breaks for the risk you're taking. Mm. And if you get it right, they can be really advantageous to you. And what is the kind of tax break on an AIM ISA then? Is it, is it comparable to the Venture Capital Trust? It's after two years, there's no inheritance tax. And if you right. think about inheritance tax is 40% on your assets, depending on whether you use the nil rate band and different allowances. If you're leaving in a state of, let's say you've got half a million pound in ISAs and they were going to form part of your inheritance tax plan and you put them in an AIM ISA, you could be saving £200,000 on inheritance tax. That's an awful lot of money, but they are highly, highly volatile. They go up and down a lot. And it depends on having £200,000 to save in the first place, which is kind of over the horizon for me, but never mind. What about business relief, which is another thing you can do to ameliorate your tax before that deadline of the 5th of April? It used to be called business property relief, didn't it? Now it's just business relief. Yeah, I think they changed the rules or they changed the name to try and let people know it wasn't just property, including hmm. renewable energies. Now, opposed to alternative investment market ISAs, which also give you IHT planning relief after two years, business property relief is a lot more stable. It's a lot more dull. It's Mm. aiming to give the investor back 3% net a year, really. It's in renewable energies. When we talk about your earlier point about being energy independent, you can invest in business property relief, business relief that goes into renewable energies. And it's really dull. It's going to return the investor 3% a year. 
And a lot of the main big solicitors in this country use it for a lot of wealthy people because its aim is for capital preservation. So when they do an inheritance tax planning for the rich and famous, a lot of these people have money in business relief. For example, forestry is a legitimate business relief product. So when you hear a lot of very rich people saying they believe in the rainforest or they believe in forestry, I sometimes think they believe in inheritance tax planning more than anything else. That's me being cynical. So from the rich and famous to the poor and nobody's ever heard of you, if you're like me and you've got limited time to invest in this, in thinking about this stuff, but you're coming up to the end of the, ta- of the tax year on the 5th of April, what's my checklist? Tell me in order. I personally would always maximise my stocks and shares ISAs because I think it's great. If you need the money back, you can get it in 10 to 15 years. You've got your pension allowances, which again, are brilliant because the government give you 20% relief if you're a basic rate taxpayer. And if you're higher rate, you get 40%. They're the two starting points. If you've maximised, and assuming, say, you're on £30,000 a year, you've put, most people can't afford their maximum into the pension. But if you can put the maximum you can in, if you've only put three grand into your ISA, but you've got money sitting around doing nothing, put another two, three grand in if you've got it spare. But utilising the, the basic release of pension and ISAs are brilliant. Well, that's some very sound advice there, Andy. And as we were talking about a minute ago, people don't always take the advice. <laughs> they don't, do they, Andrew? They don't. So some people, some people don't take the advice. You're always telling me off. They're sitting on cash. Not that I've got a lot of it, but that I shouldn't. They're sitting there being eroded by inflation. And I mean, I know why I do it. It's partly out of being busy with everything else and partly out of this kind of, I don't know, this old fashioned fear that unless I've got ready cash to draw on, I'll, I'll, I'll be in trouble. Tell me, firstly, explain why I should not be sitting on cash right now. I think the simple maths is that if inflation's going to run at an average of 5% a year and you've mm. got £100 in the bank, at the end of the year, it needs to be worth 105, and there's no bank paying inflation. Also, if we sit there and have three, I think if you've got six months rainy day money, so if your life costs you two grand a month and you've got £12,000 in cash, and then say you've got £20,000, £30,000 in stocks and shares ISAs, the stocks and shares ISAs are going to make more than cash over a five-year period. And if you need some of it, you can get it. Now, it might be worth less, than what you put in, but it, it makes money in real terms. We've done so much research here when people say cash is king. We can't find a decade where cash has ever even got close to a moderate portfolio. So people lose money in real terms. So why don't people can kind of take to heart the financial advice that they're given or that sometimes they're actually paying for? You know, they're paying for the service and they're, and they're not actually acting on the advice. I think sometimes, Andrew, they're frightened to challenge themselves. I think there's a fear of sometimes using financial advisors because you're worried, are the, is the financial advice giving you advice best for them or best for you? And I think a lot of people, we overcomplicate the products we have, ISAs, pensions, bonds, They're just all investments with just different tax breaks. And I think if you break it down to saying, I have an automatic car or a manual car or a four-wheel drive, they're all just cars. And I think people like me and some of the insurance companies and investment houses make it too complicated. And I think we make it harder for people than it needs to be. 
what areas of advice are people most resistant to in your experience? What, what you know, uh, uh, you just given us a very good and very obvious instance of where we ought to be doing something that we probably aren't. What other areas should be, people be looking at more closely? People are very reluctant to insure themselves in the event of ill health because they think it's a lot of money, yet they'll insure their pets for more than they insure themselves in case they get ill. People are reluctant off sometimes to insure themselves in case they die because you're talking about your own, your, your own mortality. But the real bit that people struggle with is estate planning, is writing your will. I think a lot of people think the minute you write the will, you're about to die. And it becomes one of the biggest things for people to do is to write their own will and to write their estate planning when they're not here. Hmm. And I think the pandemic made me realise that how much people need income protection. We talk about it most weeks because a friend of mine at the moment has had it about four or five weeks ago. He's still struggling badly. And the amount of people I've met who are had COVID, who are now not suffering from long COVID maybe, but haven't bounced back as quickly as they would think. And I think it is something that people are reluctant to insure, but we insure our contents, we insure our pets. We might insure precious items we've got, but with the only thing that produces income in every household is the people who go out to work like yourself. You produce income for your house. I do for mine. Yet if you're not at work when you're self-employed, there's no income being produced. I was just reading before we started recording that house value information's just come in and the cost of a typical home in the UK rose by £29,162 last year. This is a record, according to the Nationwide. You know, we see property value as the barometer of health of everything, don't we? Do we over-rely on property values for, you know, for our future plan? Do we kind of, at the back of our mind, is it like, well, I own a house, so I don't need to worry about the rest of the stuff? Yeah, 100%, because I think when you live in Europe, house prices don't do what they do over here. And we're such a small island with a mm. rising population that land or house prices continue to rise. And a lot of people actually say to me, well, I don't need to save. I've got money in my house. Well, my house costs me money every month, so I don't see it as an asset because it's a liability until I cash it in or sell it. So I think there is a point here where it does, and when people sometimes get to 67 and want to retire or 60 and go, I've had enough, they've not saved enough into pensions or ISAs, and they go, I don't want to downsize because I've spent all my life working, but there's this equity in the house. And I think it does cause people some false realizations about what the future holds, and then I think a lot of people go, I don't want to downsize. So we're finding equity release is becoming a big part now of people's retirement planning. Well, just in closing then, we're about, we're about to enter a period of high taxation, high inflation, instability, <laughs> particularly high cost of living. How is the way we plan our finances going to have to change as we go into what's probably not going to be a lot of fun? I think this year is... We've said in the past will be a very difficult year to predict, and that was before the Ukrainian-Russian situation. I think sometimes we become too short-termism in this country. I think look at the long term. What is your plan? And keep to the plan. It, sometimes it's like a plane journey. I'm off to the States next week to see my best friend I've not seen in two and a half years, and the plane journey could take anywhere between 10 and 12 hours. Tailwind, I'll get there in 10. If it's a bit turbulent, it might be 12, but I know I'm where I'm going. And I think if you keep your eye on the end point, sometimes you get there a little bit earlier, sometimes you get there a little bit later, but you eventually get there. And I think what we have to be careful of is dramatic shifts due to a lot of noise that's on the outside. There is some concerns about the world at the moment because of what is going on. But I think if you block out some of the noise and go, my long-term aim is to retire with a pot of, say, half a million pound in different investments, whether it's bonds or ISAs and pensions, 
and I want my mortgage paid off by that age and I want my state pension to come in at 67, but at 62, I want the flexibility. And if you keep that in mind and don't react to what you hear in the papers and what the noise is, you've got a much better chance of achieving your goal than if you panic and go, I need to come out of the market because there's so much evidence that being invested long-term is the way to succeed. Well, on that note... I'm off to go and do as I'm told and do all the things that you told me to do that I haven't done yet before the start of April. Andy Mayer, thanks for talking to me. No problem. I'm actually going to go and pack my bags at the weekend and look forward to seeing my mate and I'm looking forward to seeing the Pac-12 basketball tournament. I'm hoping Celtic keep on winning. And I'm hoping that, and I genuinely mean this, that the Russian-Ukrainian situation is sorted out Because I think it is causing a lot of angst around the world, and I think it's a dreadful thing to watch on the news. I think we're we're all all hoping for that. Listeners, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow the It's Your Money podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, whatever app you use. The next edition will come to your phone seamlessly if you follow us and subscribe. We hope you've enjoyed listening. We hope you found it useful, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.